Good morning, everyone. So good to see you this morning. It's great to be here. Thank you, worship team. Can you guys give them another hand? They are awesome. Love that. Love it. Good stuff. Like I said, it's good to see you all this morning. Greg Boyd isn't with us today. He's away at a conference. And so I get to be with you. My name is Shauna Boren. Thank you. All five of you. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I am the Associate Connecting Community Pastor here at Woodland. And it is um, an honor to work here with this body of believers and to be a part of this community. I want to ask you all a question this morning. I want you to think back and see if you can recall the last time... Uh, in the near past, that you uh, had to plan or prepare for an event. You had to plan or prepare for something. Maybe it was an event. Maybe it was a meeting. Maybe it was an appointment. Maybe it was something huge and special, something that really mattered to you. But whatever the deal, you had to prepare for it. You had uh, to plan for it. Do you remember what your preparation process was? I know me, and I know when something's coming up, it's important that it has to be done. I have certain steps that I take. There are certain things that I set up, certain people that I've got to get lined up, and there's just a bunch of little details that kind of, you know, you got to make sure in order to make sure everything is um, ready to go. And in our life, we encounter these events, you know, sometimes they're fun, joyous celebrations like weddings or baby showers. Um, graduations for some of you that have just um, gone through that. Fun, joyous things. There's also things in our life, certain things we have to plan for that aren't so fun, like going to the dentist or getting a physical from your doctor or maybe, I don't know, having a garage sale that takes a lot of prep and preparation. I don't think they're very fun, but you need to do them. But anyway, there are things in our life that we plan and prepare for, and all the planning and all the preparation, all the steps we take are for the purpose of the events. You don't just plan and schedule and take steps and prepare for nothing. It's for the purpose of the event. Back in January, Scott and I uh, were eager for the event of the birth of our daughter. It was something that we looked forward to. It's something that we were anticipating because we had three little boys that we love very much but there are three little boys. And we finally were getting a little girl. And we were excited about that. I was still in a little bit of disbelief as to whether or not um, our daughter was really gonna be a girl. I, wasn't, I didn't think I could make those or, you know, but whatever, <laughs> I did. <laughs> or he did, I don't know, anyway. It was me. <laughs> um, so we prepared for this event. And about six weeks out, we kind of started showing signs that um, she might want to come a little bit early. And so everything was fine. I was just going to the doctor and um, also on the phone regularly with my mom, who's down in Texas, because she had been there for the birth of our three boys. And so clearly she had to be here for the birth of our girl. So we're going along. Everything's fine. And then about um, two and a half weeks prior to Afton, our daughter's due date, it kind of became clear that she was going to be coming. So I'm on the phone with my mom, like on a daily basis at this point. She's trying to coordinate and plan, and she's got things going on down in Texas. My parents are pastors of a church, and so she kind of had to have a little bit of heads up, and I assured her that I would not birth this child until she got here. I made that promise. And so on Tuesday morning, January 13th, Woke up and I knew, goodness gracious, looks like 
looks like we're going to do this thing today. So I called my mom. She happened to be in the Dallas area, and it was actually a great timing because she was able to catch a quick flight from Dallas up to Minneapolis, St. Paul, but she wasn't going to get in until the night. And so, and this is in the morning. And I said, I'll wait. I will not have this baby until you get here. And all day long, uh, my contractions were consistently about 15 minutes apart. They never progressed beyond that. And so we went ahead with our plans for this huge event and we got the boys squared away. We got some things settled in the house to be gone for a couple of nights. And then finally, the evening rolls around and we head to the airport. And on the way to the airport, we call the hospital, let them know that we're going to be coming. And they said, you know what? If you're still 15 minutes apart, I, just wait because first of all, we don't know if we have any beds for you. You know, we, who knows um, how things are going to progress? And I knew. I said, okay, I'll just I'll make sure we see you later. We'll call you later. Um, as soon as we pull into the airport, and my mom calls me on my phone to tell me that she had landed. All day long, 15 minute apart contractions became five minutes. There was no gradual work up to it. It was just boom, five minutes. And so um, I would look at the clock and be like, wow, that was only five minutes. Oh my goodness. So clearly things had progressed. My mom gra grabbed my mom, got her in the car, and she'd had something she needed to get. There was um, some, some supplies she needed that she thought she could buy in the airport, but the store was closed. And so she's like, oh, I really need to get this. So I'm like, no problem. We have time. We'll go to her burgers. <laughs> so we are at the airport and we trek over to Roseville Mall, Rosedale, Roseville, whatever, that mall. And uh, my mom pops into her burgers to get what she needs. And then we're on the way. We call the hospital. They're like, okay, come, go ahead and come now. Well, then I remembered I forgot some stuff for the baby. So, babe, honey, we need to go to Target. <laughs> And he looks at me and he's like, you are in labor. I'm like, I'm not going until I get what I need from Target. So we pop over to Target and he runs in with the list and gets what I need him to get. And, we, and then we head to the hospital. And I honestly think that because we kind of dallied a little bit, the people at the hospital thought I must not be as serious um, as I said. It. I must not really be about to have a baby. Um, so they were kind of taking their time getting me admitted and then, you know, hooking up the monitors to me to make sure everything was okay. And then finally they rolled around to actually checking to see my progress. Not going to get too graphic, I promise. Checking to see my progress and the nurse's eyes about bugged out. And all of a sudden everything in the room changed. They went from just kind of taking their sweet time to scurrying and hurrying and calling the doctor and calling other nurses and getting the beds ready because she, <laughs> my daughter was coming. I had waited as long as I could wait and she was coming. And within an hour, my daughter was born. I remember at one point saying, okay, I think I'm ready just to have a little bit of something just to help this not hurt so bad. And they looked at me and said, oh no, 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 there's no time. And I was a little bit panicked, but it's all good. It worked out. Our great event happened. Our daughter was born and she was in fact a girl and she was beautiful and perfect and I loved it and it was amazing. That was an event that we were excited about. That was an event, thank you. She's precious. <laughs> that was an event that we planned for, and clearly, sometimes the best plans, the best laid plans, some different things can kind of come in and interrupt what you've got planned and what you've got going on. Excuse that. The Jews had a plan. The Jews were looking forward to a specific event, and Jesus, the Messiah, was a part of their plan. The Jews 
were looking toward this event in which their deliverance from their enemies would come. They were looking toward an event in which restoration of Israel would come. And a part of their plan was Messiah. Messiah would come and he would bring the freedom and he would bring the deliverance. And Messiah did come. And at the end of chapter nine of Luke, we begin to read a story of this Messiah, of Jesus and his journey. And this journey is leading to an event that has forever changed our history. Jesus was on a journey and he did have a destination and that destination was Jerusalem. And his encounter was with the cross and his purpose was self-sacrificial love. The crowd, the Jews and his disciples that were along for the ride on this journey, they had a purpose and they had a plan, but it was different than Jesus's plan. They did not understand. They thought we need deliverance and we need freedom from our oppressors. And this is why Messiah has come. Their destination, their encounter, their purpose was vastly different than that of Jesus. They thought that they were on a victory march, that they were going to take care of business, and finally, vindication would be theirs, that they were gonna get their freedom and that uh, all their enemies would be wiped out. But Jesus acted a bit differently. Last week, Greg taught us about when this crowd of people and the disciples and Jesus were approaching Jericho. They encount Jesus encountered a blind beggar. And this blind beggar had a need and Jesus had the answer and Jesus wanted to provide the answer for this blind beggar, but Jesus' followers kind of had a problem with it because it didn't fit their agenda. It wasn't a part of their plan. But Jesus, being Lord, went ahead and did uh, what he needed to do and he healed the blind beggar. Sadly, this man who had a great need had to overcome the followers of Jesus in order to get his needs met by Jesus. Today, we're gonna to pick up the story as Jesus and the crowd have entered Jericho and they're passing through. And just keep in mind, as they're entering in and passing through, he's passing through on his way to Jerusalem. He's passing through on his way to his destiny. Let's look at Luke 19, the first 10 verses. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus and he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your love. Father, I thank you that if we were any more perfect, you couldn't love us more. And I thank you, Father, that if we were any greater of a sinner, you couldn't love us less. Your love is perfect as it is, and you accept us as we are here and now. I thank you, Father, that you are working in our hearts and working in our lives to bring about a change so that we can better reflect you and your kingdom. Lord, I pray for this, uh, this word today that you would speak. I pray that your words would permeate the hearts of all who hear, whether they're here today or listening via podcast later or watching on the bridge later. Father, I just pray that you would speak and that you would touch hearts and change lives. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So in this portion of scripture, we have Jesus again, and we have the crowd again following along with Jesus. And then another person of interest is introduced by the name of Zacchaeus. Now, I found it interesting to note that Luke is the only gospel that tells Zacchaeus' story. And it's kind of been a popular story throughout church history to tell about the little man who climbed a tree to see Jesus. And, um, and so if you've heard it, that's fantastic. We're going to look at it. We're going to see maybe some different things that stand out to us and see how God might want to speak to us in a different way today. In verse 2, we read that Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector and that he was wealthy. And as I began to look at this passage, I wondered, why is it important to know that Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector and that he was wealthy? It sets the scene for who Zacchaeus was and why this encounter was important and why it was recorded. You see, back then, the Romans financed their mighty empire by imposing heavy taxes upon those under their control. There were nations underneath the Roman control, and so in order to finance their mighty empire, they would impose these hefty taxes. Jews were under this Roman impression and therefore oppression, and therefore they had to pay these taxes. In order to collect these taxes, the Romans would hire local businessmen um, to become tax collectors. Now, if these tax collectors were good, I don't know, they kind of made, up, made it up the chain, they became chief tax collectors, which most likely meant they had other tax collectors underneath them. So they were like the boss tax men, and they had other tax men underneath them. And so the, the higher tax collector that you were, once you got to be a chief tax collector, you were quite wealthy. And how did they attain this wealth? By gouging the people. The Roman Empire charged a certain amount for their taxes. The tax collectors would have a little upcharge, and then they would pocket the profit. So needless to say, Zacchaeus, being a chief tax collector, was considered to be a traitor. He had sided with the enemy. He had sided with the Romans to further enslave his own people, his own community. He had cheated his own community. He was wealthy, and he was greatly disliked by the community. And um, it just, is, it, it's very evident here that uh, he was very unpopular and, and very disliked. Something interesting happens here, though, for this Jewish tax collector who is considered a traitor to his own people. We read in verse 3 that he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. He was too short, so he couldn't push through and he couldn't see over. But for some reason, he had a desperation to see Jesus, so he ran ahead and climbed a tree. He ran ahead and climbed a tree. Something about Jesus intrigued Zacchaeus, and we don't know what and we don't know why. This was a man who um, you know, had his life together. He had wealth, he had things. But something about Jesus coming intrigued him, so much so that he had to get a closer look. And like the blind beggar from last week, when he tried to see who Jesus was, the crowd, the followers, were a hindrance. He couldn't see over them. He couldn't get through them. The Christ followers were an impediment to Zacchaeus seeing and getting a closer look at Jesus. Clearly, he was desperate to get closer because we see where he ran ahead. He ran ahead. He had a clever idea. And with singular purpose, he decided, Jesus is coming this direction. I'm going to run ahead. I'm going to climb a tree. And then I'll be able to get a closer look. Why is that such a big deal? Because by running ahead and climbing a tree, tree, Zacchaeus threw aside his dignity and his position, and he exposed himself to further ridicule by the community. Grown men didn't run at that time. Important men, 
men of position don't climb trees. These actions that Zacchaeus performed to see Jesus were considered to be undignified. But he didn't care because it mattered more to him in that moment to see Jesus. He felt compelled enough to throw caution to the wind and throw his dignity out the window to get a closer look at Jesus. Have you ever been so desperate to see someone? Do you ever recall a time in which you were so intrigued by someone or something that you did something a little foolish by maybe someone else's standards? I'm gonna take a little time and share something personal with you and it's a little bit embarrassing. Um, it's not something I've, I talk about a lot. I think I've shared this with my small group, um, but as a grown woman who's nearly 35, married and a mother of four, it's just not something that I'm too jazzed to talk a lot about. But it's a part of my life, so we're gonna talk about it. For more years than I've been alive, and I just said I'm almost 35 years old, for more years than I've been alive, young girls have turned on their radio or turned on their television or gone to see uh, musicians, boys in a band, music groups, um, and something will happen to a girl. And you know what, guys, don't snicker at us because you do this too in your own way with your own thing. But something happens to a young girl when she realizes that she is totally enamored with this pop icon. Something happens and she just thinks that they're just the best thing ever, they're so amazing, their songs are so fantastic, there's nothing better, and she just becomes a little crazy. It just happens. It's happened all across the nation, all across the world for years and years and years. Offhand, I can think of Michael Jackson, who we just lost suddenly. And whatever your thoughts about him, his life, the fact of the matter is this man had an enormous impact on the music industry. And up until and even after his death, people would lose their mind to get a glimpse of him or to get a touch of him or to, you know, see a glimmer of his little glove or whatever, to go see him in concert. People would just go crazy. Uh, I know back in, back in the day, the Beatles were, Beatles were very popular. People, girls, would just woo, rant and rave over the Beatles and pick out their favorite one. Uh, the Beach Boys are another, another um, group. More recently, we have the Jonas Brothers. And um, apparently, one of the Jonas Brothers had the audacity to recently get engaged. And girls all over the country are just devastated. How dare he get engaged to somebody else? But it happened. I'm talking about boy bands right now, my boy band of choice, was the new kids on the block. Thank you. Oh, loved them. Jonathan in the back there, he and I share the same birthday. Thank you very much. Danny is in the yellow sweater. Jordan is hanging off the pole. Donnie's in the little colorful sweater in the front. And Joey is a little uh, guy in the cartoon t-shirt there in the front. These are the new kids on the block. And when I was in eighth grade, I was so into them. I went to their concerts. I bought their t-shirts. I read them in the magazine. I had a calendar and I would log the days that they were going to be on TV or be doing an interview or be on the radio. It was a little ridiculous. It was a little foolish. Back then, I had these amazing guest acid wash jeans. Don't be jealous. I had these guest acid wash jeans, and I would like tear little holes in them because one of the, that's what one of the guys wore, and I would wear them to the concerts. One time, one of the guys, um, Donnie, 
uh, wiped his sweat with a towel and threw it out in the crowd and I caught it. And these girls are like, you're so lucky. And I'm like, I know, I'm so lucky. One time he sang to me, I guess. I, I mean, it's a sea of how, but he sang to me and these girls are like, he sang to you. Yes, he did. It's amazing. So one year when they were coming to town, when they were coming to Houston, I decided it was time for Jordan and I to meet because my plan was he and I would meet. Of course, we would fall in love and we would get married and everything would be wonderful. So what I decided to do was send Jordan a little letter and I knew that he would get a ton of little letters, so I included a picture. And in this picture, I was in my eighth grade formal dress in a nice little pose. And on the back of the picture, I wrote, hey, Jordan, it's going to be so amazing to see you when you come to Houston. If you like, um, give me a call and I can show you around town. <laughs> um, <laughs> never mind the fact that I was like 13 and um, didn't know how I was going to show him around town, but whatever. Uh, I just knew that once he saw the picture and read the note, destiny would happen and we'd meet and get married and blah, blah, blah. Needless to say, it didn't happen. I'm okay with that. Needless to say, I understand desperate, foolish behavior. And let's be real, I got Scott Bourne out of the deal, so I am okay. <laughs> Jordan and I did not age well, I'm telling you. They've made a little comeback recently, and they did not age well. So I feel good about the way my life went. I am okay. Needless to say, I understand that desperation. I understand foolish behavior. Let's get back to Jesus, though. Uh, when Jesus reached the spot, it tells us in verse 5, he looked up and he said, Zacchaeus, come down. Immediately, come down. I must stay at your house today. So he came down and welcomed him gladly, and all the people saw this and began to mutter. Jesus' response to Zacchaeus was one of grace and acceptance. He recognized who Zacchaeus was and just offered his grace and acceptance. And one might expect... Jesus to call Zacchaeus out on the carpet. One might expect Jesus to call Zacchaeus out for all of his misdeeds and all the mistreatment of his people. I know I would. Let's be real, if I were there, are you kidding me? And I saw that Jesus was having a conversation with Zacchaeus, knowing all the things I know about Zacchaeus, knowing how he allowed the oppression of the Roman Empire to further infiltrate his community, knowing how he had notoriously cheated everyone. So on the one hand, you've got this guy who is almost pretty much repulsive. And on the other hand, you've got the Messiah who has come to set the people free. Clearly, one of the ways in which he's going to do this is to take care of Zacchaeus for all the bad things he's done. That would be my thought anyway. Messiah had come to set the people free. Messiah had come to bring an end to the oppression. And Zacchaeus was a representation of that oppression. And you just had to know that Jesus was going to take care of business. But that's not at all what happened. We read where Jesus called Zacchaeus by name. And he showed Zacchaeus honor by staying in his home. Right there, a miracle and a transformation began to take place. I am going to go ahead and say that I bet that when Zacchaeus woke up that morning, he had no idea that that day was his day of change. He had no idea that that day his life would never be the same. But like I just said, a miracle and a transformation was happening. And the crowd wasn't too pleased. They grumbled. They murmured. They saw Jesus doing the work of the kingdom. They didn't understand it. They didn't get it. They had pre predetermined judgment upon Zacchaeus. 
They had labeled him a sinner, and he was the oppressor, and he was the one that they were supposed to be getting their freedom from. And here's Jesus not only calling Zacchaeus by name, but here's Jesus showing him honor and trying to bring restoration to his life. That cannot be God. Have you ever said that to yourself? That cannot be God. I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense. But this is the very reason why Jesus came. You see, another impediment to the progress of the kingdom is the prejudice that we can have that we know who people are, that we know what they deserve, and that they cannot change. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. I don't know if you've ever felt like a lost cause. I don't know if anyone has ever said to you or about you, I know who you are, I know what you've done, I know what you deserve, and there is no hope for you, there is no change for you. I don't know if you've ever thought that about somebody else. Chances are we've all thought of someone that we just thought, oh, how on earth is this person ever gonna change? But I gotta say, um, I have been labeled a lost cause before. Some of you heard me speak last time in which I was able to share a little bit of my story. A little bit about how for the first 13 years of my life, I lived with a single mother and there was a lot of abuse and a lot of neglect and a lot of dysfunctionality. And sadly, that happens all over the world. But that was my life and it, was, um, it wasn't pretty and there was just a lot of awful things that happened. But a miracle came in my mom and my dad. The woman who I said that came up for the birth of Afton, when I refer to her as my mom, that's who I'm talking about. I'm talking about my mom, my adoptive parents. A miracle came in that God brought us together and they felt led to adopt me and take me into their home. But at the age of 13, this is a little bit risky, and people told them so. At the age of 13, I had already experienced many things, had already lived through many things, had already been um, exposed to many things, and therefore people thought that quite possibly um, it was too late for me. I was too damaged, I had seen too much, I experienced too much, my lifestyle was such that I could never be normal. Um, and I don't know what the intent of their heart was when they said this to my parents. Maybe they were just concerned for my parents. Um, there are many people believe that you, the formative years of your life, uh, you really can't escape those. The things that you learn, the things that you experience will forever shape who you are. And to an extent, I'm sure that's true, but I'm here to tell you God can change all of that. God can say formative years, whatever. This is what I'm forming in you. This is what I've called you to be. And that's exactly what happened. God had a different plan. We live in a fallen world, and like I said, I had a single mother who, for whatever reason, couldn't care for me the way that she should, and so awful things happen. But God had a different plan, and God used this man and this woman to come together and take me into their home. And there were those who thought that it wouldn't work out. There were those who thought that I was doomed. There were those who thought that I was a lost cause without hope. But I gotta tell you, but God, he writes a different story. So if you're out there and you think you are beyond hope, if you're out there and you think that you are a lost cause, I just gotta say, but God, he writes your story and he can have a hold of your life. And no one, no one is a lost cause. The one that the Jews thought that the Messiah would save them from, Zacchaeus and those like him, Jesus ended up offering salvation too. In verse eight, we read that Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, 
Here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Zacchaeus' response to Jesus, Zacchaeus' response to the grace that was being offered him was to change his way of doing things. It wasn't to offer up excuses or try to tell his side of the story. He just said, look, I'll do this. I'll change. I'll um, offer restoration. It was true repentance. And it's interesting to know that the restoration that he offered was way more than that was required by the law. But Zacchaeus had a faith to recognize Jesus as Lord. And because of that, because he risked it all to encounter Jesus face to face, because he threw aside his dignity and his honor and his position to run ahead and get a closer look at Jesus, because of all that, he got to discover a new way of living. He got to discover a new life. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Zacchaeus had a sickness of the heart. Yes, he had done some awful things. Yes, he had um, helped to further oppress his people. But those are just outwardly actions of the symptoms of his heart. He had a sick heart. Jesus had the remedy. And this kind of healing, this kind of new life is the very thing that Jesus came to bring. The Jews are waiting for a Messiah to save them and to deliver them from their oppressors. And this is the kind of deliverance he was bringing. Not just deliverance. It wasn't about deliverance from a political rule. It was about a deliverance of the heart. Jesus came to rectify his people and to the Father God. That is the deliverance that he would bring. That is the healing. That is the freedom that he has to offer. That is the oppression that would be lifted. Jesus came as the Son of Man to seek and to save the lost. Back in Luke 4, we read about how when Jesus entered the synagogue one day, he took up the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and he read a portion of the, of the scroll. The portion he read was, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In Jesus, this prophecy was fulfilled. You see, this interaction that we just read about with Zacchaeus, it's so important, and I believe it was included because this was the last of Jesus' encounters with outcasts before his entry into Jerusalem, on his way to his destiny, and his destiny was the cross. Jesus had a fate awaiting him, our Savior had a fate awaiting him that wasn't going to be pleasant, but he was undeterred from doing it with single-mindedness, with a vision that no one understood. He kept marching toward Jerusalem. He kept marching toward the cross. And during this march and along the way, he took the time to reconcile the outcast to the Father. He took the time to reconcile the lost to the Father. All along the way, he would reveal the ways of the kingdom. And it surprised people left and right. They thought they knew what he was about. And over and over again, he was surprising them. But because of Jesus and through Jesus, God's love for us has been revealed. Jesus said that today salvation has come to this house. And I just want to say to us, to this community, that today is our day. This is our time to open our eyes and see what God is doing all around us. Because he's at work.
It may be unlike what we expect, but when even one person is offered forgiveness or hears a word of affirmation or clings to the hope that life can be different or resolves to live by a new set of values, when that happens for just one person, right there, the kingdom of God is at work. Today can be filled with joy because God is still at work. Words of grace are still being spoken to you today, to me today. Forgiveness can still be experienced for you and for me today. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come up, and if uh, you guys want to just, um, we're going to close in prayer here in a little bit, and I want to read something to you. I don't know where you are today. I don't know what resonated with you today. Maybe you'd like to get closer to Jesus Maybe you find yourself similar to Zacchaeus. You'd like to get a closer look. But for whatever reason, maybe you're too embarrassed. Or maybe you think that um, it's going to cost you too much, that the price is too high to pay. Maybe you feel like that you're going to get called out on all your stuff and you're going to be embarrassed. Maybe you're out there and you've written someone else off. You've condemned them to be beyond hope. And in a sense, you've kept them from Jesus. Maybe you've condemned yourself. Maybe you think that there's no possible way that his love could extend to you because of where you are or what you've done. I want to say that today, salvation has come. The kingdom is at work. Listen to how well our God loves you. Listen to how well he knows you. I have searched you and I know you. I know when you sit and when you rise, even from a distance, I know what you are thinking. I know when you leave and when you come back. Look behind you, I am there. Look up ahead, I am there as well. I am your reassuring presence wherever you go. There is no place you can go to be out of my sight. If you climb the sky, if you go underground, I am there. If you flew on morning wings to the western horizon, I'd be there waiting for you. I can even see you in the dark. My child, I shaped you inside and out. I formed you in your mother's womb. Body and soul, you are marvelously made. I know every bone in your body. I know how you were made bit by bit, how you were sculpted from nothing into something. My thoughts toward you are beautiful. My thoughts toward you outnumber the sand of the sea. I love you. I love you. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for how you intimately know us. Thank you that there is no place we can go, no place we can hide. There is no sin too great that you can't reach us, Father God. Lord, help us to be a people of God that follow after you. Help us to uh, encourage others to follow after you. Help us not to be a hindrance to anyone. Lord, for those who believe it's too late for them, that they don't belong, that they don't have a place, Lord, I pray that you would speak your truth into their hearts and into their life right now. Father, for those who want to come to you but they're afraid, Lord, just draw them. Draw them to you, God. I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for your grace. I thank you so much for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all for being here this morning. There are homework assignments out at the hub. If you do need prayer, please um, feel free to come up here. Otherwise, go and be blessed and further build our kingdom. Thanks.